Pete, so you have some uh, insight into us meeting that from something you've yeah. heard in a in a podcast since we talked. Yeah, last night I had what I I would call a podgasm, where <laughs> the podcast I was listening to triangulated our last podcast. What in, podcast were you listening to? Uh, the Dano says so podcast with Ian. Which I highly recommend. It was a it was a really good one. Ian was on fire. Just I think Ian, I don't know. Like when he's talking to more of like a peer, he's like comes alive a little extra, you know, instead of like a reporter or something where he's sort of guarded. But it, it was Ian just dropped so many nuggets of wisdom that it was it was a really great hour. Um, but while listening to it, I realized that. Dan was saying the first time he met Ian was at Maxim Rock and Roll House. And I remembered from my podcast with Dan that he had said that he and Billy Rubin came to San Francisco for that verbal assault show that we were talking about where I knocked my amp over. That was the one that I was talking about with Martin. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You were talking about it with Martin and it was like a really weird show and it seemed like it was at 10 a.m. and it was really bright and I just remembered Martin and Tim Yohannan being the only two people there and just Tim Yohannan's face where he was looking at me, like trying to get my amp together. And, uh, and, um, but I realized that Dan and Billy had come up for that show also to hang out with Bessie. I think they were pen pals. Maybe I'm not sure of that part. Um, and then verbal salt and you stayed at MRNR at the house for, almost a week, I think. That was the time where Martin was saying you were hopping around like a, with like a little child. He thought you were a child and that you were wearing bunny ears and he thought you were 10 years old. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And you guys were wondering if maybe all my guitar jumps were to help my testicles finally drop. <laughs> Is there any truth to that? <laughs> I, you know, I, I was trying to get something going on at that time. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that was just an instinctive part of it um so what i realized was that ian showed up a day or two later to pick up cynthia who had been doing a stint at maxim rock and roll doing graphics and just working at the magazine right so he, he showed up and let me uh, ask you do you remember that he had lo like longish curly hair yep Long okay yeah because i remember Long saying that to martin and, and being that was the first time i ever met ian yep because this would have been before that seven seconds tour yeah yeah, this was the summer of 86. Because I um, knew that, that when I went to Discord, I had already met him. So, so that, yeah. that all makes sense. And the first time I met him, I remember being surprised because he had hair like when he was in the Teen Idols. Like he had that yeah. curly, almost, big, like almost a fro. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah, with the black hat squished on. And so that's that's where all those – I mean, I had met Ian before a bunch. Yeah. But that's where you, Dan – Billy, I think that was the first time Martin met him too. That makes um, sense. So, what year would this have been? Eighty-five. It was July nineteen eighty-six. So, the, the that show was on the fourth of July. I found out from finding that flyer that I sent you. Um, yeah, and then, um, yeah, I remember. I remember going, Ian, me, and maybe Nick Barbado, the Verbal Salt drummer went went down to that big school that was right below the Maxim Rock and Roll house. 
Well, this was the, when the house was um, over was that in the Castro area, kind was of. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, and that that Clipper big school. House. Yeah, that big school. I th- I think that's where this famous skate spot is for the the staircase. It's this kind of legendary, just gnarly staircase that um still see videos of today. Um, you know what the name of that spot is? I uh, I could find the school. Yeah, I'll that. send it to you. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So that was my podgasm. But um, but yeah, I'm so bad with dates. It was it was just one of those everything came together, and all my podcastings into a very clear moment. That's a good one. Yeah. Also, um, one last thing about that Fourth of July show when I I pulled my amp over with one of my sick jumps. You were technically the roadie at that point. Oh, when oh, I was I was yeah. on roadie duty when the amp came down. Yeah, and you're nowhere, nowhere to be found. I should so have I'm, been. I'm, part of my problem was that I, I didn't have anywhere to put my guitar to try to lift my Marshall back together. Right, because I, I came of, down from Reno with you guys, so yeah. I was the roadie. Yeah, you were nowhere to be found. You were. But Martin said I strong armed Gary Tovar for money when we when we played Fenders. That 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 I, makes I sense. seem to remember that. That that Fender show, I was you know I was maybe 11 days out of high school, you know, past high school graduation at that point. Right. And the Fender show was, it was just like out of my league as far as like from the stage, seeing like three or four different pits. And like, you could just see, it was just like seeing four episodes of like Mad Max, you know, with like different fucking gangs and different fights. And it was, it was so baffling to me. And then, yeah, I don't think I would have had the, the Cajones to 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 wrestle with Gary Tovar that day. I was just like, "What the fuck? This is crazy." Was that the biggest like crowd wise show that you'd ever played prior to that? Oh yeah, yeah, by far. Yeah. How many people do you think Fenders held? I have trouble uh, figuring that out. It had a low ceiling, and it it was yeah very broad, but it wasn't like because like the Olympic Auditorium. Did you ever play there or go there? No, never saw it. Never, never saw that place. Cause that place was like a, you know, super tall ceiling boxing arena. You know, it was more like yeah. a, an arena than whereas Fenders was Fenders ballroom. And it was like a, I remember the ceiling being, you know, no more than 12 feet tall. I wouldn't say. Yeah. It was like a, and it was, yeah, it was long and wide instead of, you know, long and deep. So yeah. Yeah, so from the stage, you just had this really long, low, really just strange. It, it was a it was a bizarre place. But um, what do you think the capacity was? Like two thousand, maybe. That day, it seemed like four hundred thousand, and it was just yeah. like it was like the, a battle scene from Braveheart, basically. But yeah. um, it was probably two thousand in in reality. Did you ever play the Rock Hotel in New York? Uh, I went. I went a lot. I saw one of the best Bad Brain show I ever saw there. Um, How big was that place? Um, uh, there's a pretty big balcony. I would guess 1,500, maybe 1,800. Was that one of the biggest East Coast punk show places? Um, God, maybe. Um, at that time, yeah, that, that might have been. And I, I, I might be misremembering, but I think, I think they took the name from. I don't know that it was just one place. Someone will have to 
refresh my memory, but I, I feel like I went to one place that was Rock Hotel really early on in the 80s. And then there was a later place that was bigger that was also called Rock Hotel. Mm. So I don't know if that was just the yeah. name, name of the promoters. Thing. Didn't you tell me once about going to see the Chromags there and saying that it looked like you were looking over the balcony at like Dante's Inferno? Yeah, that was that. I think that was that Bad Brain show. It was Chromags and Bad Brains. And yeah, when Chromags started, I think it was right after age of coral came out and the you know that that first intro that really just beautifully demonically evil slow intro um, i like two chord yeah yeah just that half tone and and uh yeah i think they started with that and it was just i I was yeah i was on the balcony kind of perfectly like right over the pit and it was just like the whole place just turned into fucking just cavemen just marauding and it was it was yeah it was pretty cool <laughs> those kind of moments really stick with you when you just see it and you actually even at the time like can 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 recognize like what you're seeing is just a special moment where it's like this is just an intensity that yeah it's yeah, yeah. special uh, yeah it was especially like just terrifying to and uh you know and it was a lot of skinheads, a lot, a lot of just everyone, but it was, uh, it was still just kind of an awesome sight to behold. What do you, what is your experience or take on the whole sort of New York skinhead scene in the mid late eighties for any good well, agnostic front stories? Or Yeah, we, we, we went on tour with agnostic front. I, we've talked about that in our, you know, past, but um, yeah, they, they, they really liked us and asked us to come on this, I think it was about a two week, two and a half week tour. And, and at the time, you know, we were, you know, we were pretty DC oriented, you know, kind of in that kind of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a logical thing for us as far as like staying in our lane. Um, But we really, we really liked those guys and, kind of like it was really sweet of him to ask us and and we were we were just by that point we had played so much um and just toured so much on our own um like everyone that liked verbal salt had seen verbal salt four times at that point and and so we we just we we did it and I, it was one of the coolest tours we ever did it was those where guys did you were, go um the south <laughs> Uh, Midwest, South, mostly the South. Um, and, and, um, they, besides being just fucking really sweet and hilarious dudes, they like Roger, I I mean, I've, I hadn't seen anyone like go off on skinheads at shows like he had during that trip. He was, the the ultimate show i think i might have told this story on some other podcast but the i think it was gainesville was it gainesville no not gainesville um fuck maybe jacksonville there was there was like a notorious club on the schedule that we were going to play that was that was kind of like a skinhead uh just stronghold and it was circled on the list the whole the whole time and we were it was kinda, like one to be prepared for yeah and they they you know, they had 
they had warned us and we, we had already, you know, we just knew about this one place and, um, and it, it was, it was like, we got there and it was mostly skinheads and it was, uh, you know, there might've been like eight or 10, like positive verbal salt fans, you know, and they're like, Holy fuck, what are you doing here? And, uh, <laughs> and, and Chris, Chris, our singer was pretty outspoken at shows. Um, but this show, I feel like we, I think we just sort of, later set <laughs> like this is not a battle we want to actually like, like <laughs> there's I, I no winning in this room yeah i don't know how brave we were and and then there might have been one more now agnostic front was next and uh they came on and there was like a skinhead banner thing in the back of the club and roger just from like before they even played he was like you know i'm paraphrasing but he was like take that fucking banner down and we're not playing and, and just, just went off, you know, and he was like, what did the banner yeah. say? It was just pro skinhead. It was just, yeah, it was just like some skinhead emblem. Maybe there was a logo or something, but it was like yeah. a straight up skinhead. Like, was it a neo-Nazi logo? No, or, I don't know. It, it was crucified skin. Something it was. Yeah. Some yeah. fucking stupid skinhead thing but but roger like got on stage and was like you're fucking taking that down and we're not fucking playing and and uh just laid down the law and it didn't go over great and within like two or three songs like oh i just said like three times in a row okay uh, don't worry about it uh yeah within like i, I think three songs we were kind of in the hallway at that point, kind of getting our, our gear together. And Roger comes storming down the hall, you know, looking like he's ready to fucking kill someone. And he yells at their manager, Mark, who's kind of behind us. He's like, Mark, get the gun, verbal salt, get your equipment, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was like one of those like real life moments where you're like, all right, I'll be listening. To, I'll be listening to Roger right now. And, Roger you know, just and, knows you're just the nice guys from Newport. Yeah. I didn't even know like you could own a gun at that point in my life. I was like, like, but yeah, in my my mind, I was like, these guys two are with a gun, and then I was like, like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. And we we did. <laughs> we we loaded up and bolted, and uh, I think we just met up at the next Denny's or something. And um, but yeah, they like Rogers. A fucking hero, man. The, um, so yeah. the skinheads. Part of the focus on them was this this thing that like they had betrayed the skinhead brotherhood by not being Nazis. Uh, I I don't even I don't even know. I know Roger is not down with down with it, you know, and he was very outspoken against it. I think I, I think maybe part of asking Verbal Salt to go on the tour was them trying to kind of shed some of that. Yeah. And that's a total guess on my part. Um, but we definitely weren't a logical choice for them, you know, or for, for us. And, and um, so I, I, the, like I said, that's a guess on my part, but I think they, they were trying to step out of that, that kind of pigeonhole a little bit. That would have um, been a rough place to be in, that, in those years. Fuck, yeah. Can you even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they, it was like I said. It was one of the the most interesting and f- fun tours we did. Vinny Stigma. I mean, Vinny Stigma is one of the funniest fucking people you will ever meet. And do you have, him, a, good, do you have a good Vinny Stigma story about Vinny in the Midwest? Vinny in the South? Okay, picture 
it wasn't that night. It was maybe two nights later. It, it started to get cold and we're at a totally rural waffle house and everyone's just kind of tired. It's pretty late. And Chris Jones had his kind of weird LL Bean winter fashion, like a weird kind of, kind of wool pea coat. And he had this big black wool hat, just kind of looked like a Navy night watchman cap. And he's in a, he's in a two person booth and Vinny goes and sits across from Chris Jones, the two, like, you know, the total odd couple situation. And, uh, you know, Chris is just very bookish and nerdy and Vinny is, you know, not those two things, but very gregarious. And so, so Vinny just kind of sits down in that kind of New York way and he's kind of sizing Chris up, like kind of looking him up and down and he's like, Hey, that's a nice fucking hat. And Chris is, you know, kind of looks up for his book. He's like, oh, I don't know. I think it makes me look kind of stupid. He's like, hey, it's a nice fucking hat, you know, kind of poking him in the chest. And that was it. That was the whole conversation. And like Vinny's just, just kind of giving Chris a, Chris a little self-confidence boost that he could just tell that he needed with his hat. Stand by that fucking yeah. L.L. Bean hat. Yeah. And the other the other story that always comes to mind was – we're in Florida. It might've been the, er, the beginning of that show in Jacksonville in the parking lot. And Chris Jones had just done a total van top to bottom, clean organization. You know, like it was like the whole van was like perfect and meticulous. And, and Roger just came over to chat and he like, kind of like leans in the chat and he doesn't say anything. And he's just kind of looking at the van. And then he, he yells at their roadie Frenchie. He's like, Frenchie, get over here. And like Frenchie comes over and he's like, what? And the, Roger's like, look at this van. Smell this van. Go fucking clean the van. And, you know, like pushes Frenchie <laughs> off. And like... Roger definitely, like, at several shows was outspoken about anti racist stuff. And, um, and yeah, I, I was, I was fucking at the end of it. I was just very glad we did it and really just love those guys. Yeah. yeah. The New York skinheads we knew and interacted with were, yeah, they weren't, they weren't racist. They were like, yeah, it was more just like a hard ass fucking street crew, like, like rabies uh, from Warzone. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he turned into a totally kind of positive, you know, I can't remember what happened in Rabies' last few years, so I, I can't remember if he stuck with that. But um, but yeah, he he was totally won over by the Youth of Today squad. And so a lot of the like really hard, you know, so-called New York skinheads weren't, weren't, didn't seem like skinheads to me. They were just... Yeah, Oh my God, I'm living and learning doing this. I just realized that my conversation with Pete, I wasn't using my microphone into the mixing board with the USB connector. Instead, I was just using the built-in microphone and it sounded so harsh. 
I'm learning a lot doing this. Yeah. Tech tech wise, that's interesting. <laughs> this should be we should have a all tech segment of just how the tech aspects of the podcast are going. What is the Traeger method tech? TM tech. TM, TM tech. Yeah. TM gear. Okay. Well, one thing I came to Okay, beyond tech, there's also the emotional, spiritual, editorial concerns I've been having with this podcast. The tech within. The tech within, the spiritual technology. There we go. Um, I had a mini, I mean, calling it an, it, it an anxiety attack is much too dramatic. Um, but I did have a bit of a crisis last night. Crisis of confidence in what I'm doing, What what, what the with the ideas. Then I relaxed about it and I thought, okay, we can work through this. It's, it, you know, the podcast is a new project. This is the 11th episode. So it's, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what it is as I do it through just doing it. Like what's the theme. And I feel like with my conversation with Pete, I had the audio issue, the tech issue. And then also our conversation when I listened back to it, it was just, I don't know, too much talk about Nazi skinheads and violence. And I feel like we've covered, I've covered violence a lot already on this podcast. And I don't want that to be the overriding theme. And then we talked a lot about current events. And I also editorially don't know that I want to do conversations on this that are about things that happened, you know, last week. Because I, I, I mean, for one thing, I like the idea of these being evergreen issues. I mean, episodes mm-hmm. that you could listen to at any time. And, you know, it's not about the, the news. Yeah. But then I was thinking, okay, is that, am I being too, Am I overthinking this? Maybe I don't need to worry about that. Maybe who cares? This is really just for a very boutique audience. I don't have to even think about it at all, maybe. I shouldn't even be thinking about it at all. I should just be rolling with it, never editing, never censoring. Or, you know, that's one extreme. And then the other extreme is, well, it's not really an extreme. The other one is just to do editorial type decisions and, well, let's go into more the feelings that are coming up because the structure, we're, you're just going to find stuff as you've been finding. It's been changing. But I think the emotional journey is it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, okay, that is more interesting. Um, I have had a feeling of a confidence crisis come up on that too. Again, questioning whether or not I should even be thinking that this deeply about it. But it's true. It's come up um, the idea of am I just completely full of shit when I'll listen to myself talk sometimes? And I think is, is, is everything just stories I tell myself or are there? Yeah. I just have a crisis about my own sense of myself. And I think I, well, I just start to hate my own voice. And I think all, all I, all I want to do is hear other people talking. Maybe I should just do interviews and not even, uh, because I've kind of had an idea that this is a comp. These are people that I'm very close to. So I should just have conversations and not treat it like a interview. 
So what specifically, why did you have this light, intense flurry of emotion last night? What specifically brought it up? Well, I think the holidays and it being COVID Christmas and, and uh, in general, I, I usually have guilt around the holidays about connections with family and things like that. I, I remember at the end of the episode with my mom, episode nine, I think it was, I ended up talking about how, you know, the only thing that really matters is love and the people you love and the people who love you. And then I was thinking, I don't, that is my highest value. I, I identify that as being a true, true thing. But I also recognize that I don't live up to that value as much as I would like to. Yeah, so that would explain. I think that's like a pretty core thing because, you know, the holidays is kind of a vague reason whether you do. I think that's a very common thing to say, well, you know, the holidays, I feel a certain way. But I think more this sense of I'm not living how what my beliefs and how I want to be are. Yeah. And, you know, doing this, doing this podcast is a chance to look back and try and be as honest and open to, yeah, and open um, when looking back. And I guess part of me is feeling like, oh God, what if I get through this whole story and it ends up with me being a person of little integrity who doesn't really live up to his uh, values and isn't a very honest person. If that's the end person that we get to at the end of the autobiography, then what was, the, <laughs> what, what was the point of telling it? You know, this idea that you want a story that like I might you know, envision like a good story would be one of redemption. You go through all these trials and tribulations and you, you dust yourself off and you, <clears throat> You might not get what you want, but you get what you need. You know, that would be a nice story. Mm -hmm. And then the reality is, like, maybe at the end, I end up going, yeah, you went through all those things. You lived, you learned, but you still are a a weird man child. Mm -hmm. And that's not a very cool story. But then I was thinking that the kind of resolution I got to was this idea that, well, for one thing, this, I'm not telling this story at the end of my life, I hope. Um, so maybe what I'm doing is getting to see more clearly where I have failed to maybe meet what I think of as my potential as mm-hmm. a human being. And that... Yeah, that that in doing this project, I'm taking stock of all those things that you kind of can easily go on autopilot for, like your stories about who you've been and who you are and what got you to where you are today. Um, and this is a chance to question, I guess, those stories and maybe see things in a different light. And then also just decide like, if there were things in the past that you've patterns that you reckon that I recognize in myself, then I have identified places where I can make concrete changes and maybe make that a pattern that doesn't have to go on in indefinitely forever. I think it'd be interesting to get some specific things that you were believing and not living out because I think this is all true, but it's kind of still a little bit general. 
Yeah. Okay, well, very simple. Like something like that statement I, I said that is a core belief is this idea that, that the thing that the thing that really matters in life is your love for other people and the people who love you. Mm-hmm. That's the most fulfilling thing in life are those relationships, friendships, family, friends. Mm-hmm. So if that is my core value, if that is a core value, then I should, I would like to act on that more. If I have thoughts about someone, for instance, my friend Nick from Helium, the comedy club. Mm-hmm. In Portland. Wonder, wonderful human being, yeah. When I quit doing comedy, I didn't really stop on purpose and just pick a date like I quit. I just kind of stopped going. So a <laughs> while went by, some time went by, and I, I didn't really get in touch with a lot of comic people because I just wasn't going. And then... A bunch of time goes by and I'm like, oh God, it's been so long. I, I really need to just say hi to these people. And, well, I'm, let's get specific. Just Nick. Great guy. Super supportive of me. Wonderful human being. Everything about him. Never had a bad interaction. I love the guy. Did a lot for me as a comic. I put off. Well, I just, I, I don't get around to saying, you know, to just saying hi to him or reaching out or just, you know. Then a bunch of time goes by. Then COVID strikes. Perfect time to reach out and say, hey, you know, I'm, you know I'm, comedy clubs are getting hit hard. Thinking about you. That's all it has to be. Mm-hmm. I, but I don't do that. More time goes by. It gets bumped down the road until pretty soon I'm making up these um, grand gestures I should do. <laughs> yeah, I'll do a painting of Nick and send it to him just as a surprise. Try and just reset the clock. Yeah. And then I don't get around to doing the painting. And then I think, well, that painting is just a project that's coming. I got to keep pushing it down the, until a year goes by. And I didn't say, hey, man, thinking about you, I care about you. Literally could dash off a, a message at any moment and do that. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I go, I would like to not do that in the future. Well, why don't you just send a text to him right now? Because you're just, I mean, we kind of already, we were just having a conversation on the phone. And I mean, you could just say, hey, Nick, I'm making you a huge painting. Sorry for abandoning you. (laughs) (laughs) But like, why, you know, part of me wants to know why. Why don't you just do it? I mean, it's just one text. You're saying that just make these small steps. I have to, I'd have to, you know, at least not be recording, you know, could it be a case where I do that as soon as we stop? I say maybe. Yeah. Well, I think it might be interesting to send that text. And I mean, you can do a little bit of editing and see, maybe he responds by the end of this. Maybe he doesn't. How about this? Um, I'll let's stop the conversation. I'm going to do it. And then can we talk later? I think we could talk later. Yeah, maybe later this evening or maybe tomorrow. Okay, we're, we're back. back. 
Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened? I soon after we stopped talking, I sent Nick a message, a text message, just saying, "Yeah, just been a long time. Wanted to reach out earlier than COVID struck, and then a year got away from me. I just want to let you know." Hope you have a great 2021. You were a very supportive person. Your friendship means a lot to me. Oh, nice. And then he wrote back very soon after and said, oh, you, I can't even tell you how heartwarming that is for me. Oh, so how do you feel about all that? Really good. It was interesting because you seemed very uncomfortable when I suggested you text him. Well, it was kind of the thing of being in the middle of a conversation and just right. kind of like, I don't want to do this as a stunt, like on a podcast. Well, the ultimate stunt, texting someone you're thinking about. Them. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, yeah. you know, I, I also I wanted to you know, even just dashing off a I wanted to write it and have it be correctly worded. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. And there is something to be said about something reaching out to someone and there's something about it not being observed or being a private communication that is a legitimate, um, makes it more meaningful. But I do think that you did that. We stopped, provided the space for you to send something that you had been thinking about for a while. And now we're coming back. And I also, you know, New Year's is a great time to, you know, it's not so out of the blue to get in touch with people you haven't talked to in a long time. You know, it's no. kind of like, hey, it's it's that time we're looking forward, we're looking back. Just wanted to say, I wish you well. Yeah, I think it's a nice thing to do. It's very nice. And, and it, yeah, it's just doable. And I don't really, you know, one thing I've been thinking is I don't really need to figure out every motivation and way that I've been in the past if I just change the way I, I, I move going forward. And that is episode 11 of the Traeger Method podcast. I'm learning that this can be whatever I want it to be. It doesn't have to have a set structure. Sometimes it's an hour-long conversation unedited between two people. Other times it's a fragment cut from a larger conversation. Sometimes I talk to Paul about the feelings and anxieties and challenges of doing this. The things that come up around the doing of the project. Other times I'm just talking about punk history. It's both. I really appreciate you listening. I hope you continue to listen. I'm interested in seeing where this goes in 2021. I'm going to stick with this. I have decided that. Ups and downs. People may listen. They may not. Doesn't matter. It's a project. It's called Traeger Method. It's not, like I've said in earlier episodes, it's not called Punk Rock Memories or whatever. It's, uh, you know, if I had to boil down, I'm starting to boil down a 
thumbnail, you know, headline about the, about the podcast. It's about me figuring out what is the Traeger method. I'm trying to figure that out for myself. You know, I'm not telling an, an autobiography so that I can show, you know, look, look where this cool person came from. No, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who this person is and what does, what do I want to be in the future? How could I up my game for the next chapter? It's a good thing to work on. I mean, I'm grateful to be able to work on it. So thank you for coming along on this ride. I really appreciate it. We'll see you again next time on Traeger Method Podcast. America is number one. We lead the world in death. We'll fight against our own self-interest till our dying breath. As long as someone else is hurting a little more than me, I'll tell myself I'm doing great. I'll die for this economy. See no more, I've heard the script in there before I don't want to buy a gun, I said the word Don't sound like fun, follow for the corporate drinks Ended in politics, ain't the world Don't know why, America, time to die